All right, so now you have your credit score and you're in the credit system, but you're asking yourself like, hey, this is not where I want to be or, hey, I've got this amazing score and I want to protect it. Like, how do I maintain it? How do I stop it from fluctuating? You know, I get this great score and it comes down, but I want to stay in a certain area. If those are the questions you have, this is the episode for you. Welcome back to the What's Your More podcast. I'm your host, Quentin Harris, and we are back for episode 132. This is one of my favorite episodes because we're going to talk about how to hack your credit bureau. Now, I know that's a popular term between house hacking and, and credit hacking, but the reality is there's a lot of things that you as the consumer can do to your credit that really are up to you. And a lot of people don't share that with you. And that's what I want to do today. I want to kind of take you behind the scenes of how to maintain your credit report at the level in which you want it to stay at, as well as improving it if you need to improve it. So let's go back to the last episode. We ended with, you know, things that determine your credit score. I kind of want to re just rehash that one more time. We're going to, real quickly, 35% of is broken down to five factors. So let me start with that. Five major factors of different importance determine your credit score. So we said number one was that 35% is your payment history. That's pretty self-explanatory. Number two is 30% of what you owe on your debt. Number three was 15% is accounted for how long you've been in the credit report history, the, what we call your, your length of history. How long have you been a member of the repository as far as credit? And then number four at 10% is the new credit that you've established. And then number five at 10%, additional 10% is how you use that new credit. So um, there's five factors, 35% payment history, 30% the amount you owe, 15% the length in the credit reports, 10% new credit, and 10% how you use that new credit. So I just want to run that back out there. So let's talk about that. So when we talk about payment history, you know, I've always been told that there's this magic credit matrix. You ready for it? It's pretty simple. It's called the one, two, three model. How hard is that? One, two, three. And what that is, is that the number one most important thing in your credit report is your mortgage. Number two is your automobile slash installment loans. That could also be your student debt. Number three is revolving credit cards. Now that's the order of the history. Now here's kind of the formula. You want to have one mortgage, two automobiles, three credit cards. That seems to be the magic credit history matrix that's not really divulged out there. So think about that. Uh, if you're a renter and you don't have a mortgage, you're already at a disadvantage with your credit score because you're not getting the maximum amount of credit score you could get because you don't have a mortgage yet. And yeah, that's a thing. Now, here's pro tip number one. Here's how you could help with that. If you're renting and you're renting from an apartment complex, or if you're renting from an institutional landlord, and that's not like, uh, that wouldn't be me, right? If you were renting from me, I'm a single owner. I'm not an institution, but if you're renting from an institution or an apartment, get a payment history documented and turn that into the credit reports. You can work with any mortgage lender that you're looking to get pre-approved on a home with. They can help you with that as well as there are opportunities to do that through TransUnion and Equifax via their website. So there's there's pro tip number one. Number two, installment loans, right? If you have an automobile, that's real important that you have it documented, but at what age did you get your automobile, right? Because that's going to go back to that depth of credit history, right? Remember, 15% of your credit report, credit report is based on your depth of history. So one of the things I always say is that when you buy a car at the age of 18, you can get that, you, know, you can credit qualify for that car. And there's really not a lot of car lenders that will not give you a loan. They want you to buy a car, especially at 18 if you got a co-signer with mom and dad. The real question is, can you find the automobile you know, lender or the automobile maker that'll let you be on there at the age of 16? Like there are ones out there. You can start your credit history two years earlier. So that's something to consider. The third thing is in revolving. Now, this is the easiest way to get into the credit history starting at the age as early as 13. 
You heard that right. As early as 13 years old, there are certain credit card companies, Amex being one of them, that will allow you to put someone in your family as an authorized user on that credit account. Follow me here. If 15% of your credit history determines your credit score, so if 15% of your credit score is determined based on your depth of credit history, and you start at the age of 13, by the time you're 18 years old, you already have five years of credit history. That accounts for 15% of your score. Now, if you recall, what makes up the bulk of your score? Payment history. So if you have five years of credit depth and payment history, you already have a leg up when you're 18 years old of a credit score. That's vitally important. Now, some credit card companies make you wait until you're 16 years old to add an authorized user, but there are some that start as early as 13. But even if you start at 16, you still got a two-year payment history and two years of depth ahead of the competition, or, you know, not really competition, but ahead of the credit reports. It's a great way to get started in the credit system and establishing a credit score out the gate. It's also one of the fastest ways to improve your credit score. You know, if for some reason you need to improve your credit score and you're beyond the age of 18 and maybe you had some bumps in the road or some things have happened, you can get established as an authorized user on any family member's credit card. And typically you see this with kids. You don't really see this like, you're not going to your aunt and uncle and going, hey, can I be an authorized user on your account? Uh, you, you typically see it, you know, what, what we would call as non-arms link, mom and dad usually, right? And so mom and dad usually would put the child on the credit report or the uh, or, or their, you know, I guess this child, so if you're 19, 20 years old, you'd put your kid on there, right? And you would help them establish credit, whether the credit card allows for it at 13, 15, 14, 16, whatever, and they put them on there. If it's later on in life, you can still do the same thing. And you can still help that person rehabilitate that credit score by putting them on there as an authorized user. So that's, that's, that's two of the main quick ways to get credit early on and kind of beating the system, if you may, and getting in there before the age of 18. The other thing is understanding your credit, like it's it's pivotal because the largest balances carry the most weight. That's why mortgage is number one in that matrix, right? It's usually your largest balance and then automobiles and student loan debts number two, because those are usually your second largest balance. And sometimes those may be your largest balance, especially if you're, you know, if you're new to the credit uh, world and you got your first car, because think about what's, what's someone's first purchase they make when they graduate college. Typically statistics say when someone graduates college, or high school, their first purchase is a new automobile. It's not a mortgage. It's an automobile. So that's going to be your first payment. Excuse me, that's going to be your highest balance, you know, your first thing on the credit report that pops up because it's your highest balance. But later on, it could be your student loan debt, and hopefully it's your mortgage. And those things will bring more value to your credit report than credit cards at any given time. But the earliest way to get in there is going to be put on as an authorized user on one of your family member's credit cards. So but the largest balances carry the most weight in their scoring models. So that's why a homeowner, going back to what I said earlier, is typically going to have a higher credit score than someone that's not a homeowner yet. You know, you don't achieve those high sevens and mid eights until you become a homeowner. You don't see that get up there because the biggest weight is given on that mortgage when it comes to establishing higher credit scores. So the other thing is this, um, when we talk about fastest ways to establish the credit, like I said, getting on there as an authorized user is extremely important. It's the quickest way to do it. Also, you can do it by establishing a traditional card. So for example, if you're beyond the age of 18 and you don't have a family member or the luxury of having a family member that'll put you on as an authorized user, you can apply for a credit card. Now at the age of 18, it's, it's not going to be guaranteed that you get that credit card. But if you don't have anything on your, on your history that's deterring the, uh, the consumer lending division of the credit card company of approving you, you're probably going to get one. You're probably going to get one with like a $500 to $1,000 balance right out the gate. 
the question becomes, how do you utilize that? And go back to what I said earlier in the previous episode is that maintaining a 30% balance is critical. Now, I want to clarify, if you have a $1,000 credit card to start, right? If you're brand new to getting credit and you were given the opportunity to get a $1,000 credit card, that means put $300 on the card, let it cycle through and pay it off. So as it cycles through, you're not charged interest on it. We've done a whole podcast on that. So you put $300 or $250, $300 max on that $1,000 limit. Let the billing cycle cycle through. Once it comes back through, pay it off. If you do that, you're going to see a, and you do that consistently, by the way, you're going to see a significant increase in your credit score and your credit history is going to start with the proper utilization and also with the proper depth. And that's really important going back to those five factors that I talked about. So I'm going to bring a slide up here on my computer because I kind of want to show you how trade lines work. Now, you're not going to be able to see this right now. My producer is going to probably put it in the background as I'm talking here. But I want to show you guys, this is from a fake credit report. I want to make sure you know that this is fake. Our friends over at Partners Credit were kind enough to kind of come up with a fake credit report and share this with us. So let's call this John Doe, okay, for the name on here. But what I want to show you is what a revolving account looks like. Now, what you're about to see here is a trade line from a fake Chase Bank account, right? Fake number, fake everything. But inside here, what I want to show you is what lenders look at and what repositories look at when we talk about ratios. So on this trade line, first thing you're going to see is it says Chase Bank USA. That tells me that as a lender or someone that's looking at your credit, that this is with Chase Bank, that's your credit card company. I'm also going to see that it is a revolving account. And I'm going to have the indicator on here that shows me that it's a credit card at the very bottom here under the Bureau Remarks. You're going to see E. Are you going to see XPN, which stands for Experian? You're going to see TU for TransUnion and EQF for Equifax. That means I am looking at a tri-merge that's reporting all three bureaus here. And at the very bottom, that says credit card, right? So that tells me that's a credit card. It also tells me in the middle of this trade line, it's a revolving credit card. So that revolving is important because remember, we talked about that on the matrix of the one, two, three. This is the revolving section of that. It's going to tell me the date in which this reported was back in October of 2016, and that it was opened in May of 16. Now, obviously, this is an older trade line because we're using this as a made-up date here, but that shows me four months of that being reviewed. So the depth on this trade line is four months. So when we talk about length in the credit report, this trade line would only have a four-month depth history. The balance on this, and you kind of see the red line with the arrow pointing to that, is $2,375. Now, the credit limit, which is where the opposite of that arrow is pointing, is $3,200. That means we have a 74% credit utilization here. This person is actually going to get a worse score on their credit report for having a 74% credit utilization. What we would like to see that be at is below 30. So if the limit is $3,000, Keeping that below, let's just say $1,000 on a balance would really improve this person's score. So if I, as a creditor, were working with you, I would say, hey, Mr. and Mrs. Consumer, what I'd like to see you do here is pay that balance down from $2,375, just pay it down $1,375, and let's get a letter from Chase that says your new balance is 1000 and I would take that letter and I would go back to the repositories and have them update this and that would increase your score. That's something that you can do, right? But that's also something you can do as a consumer that you can take control of this and say, listen, I know where I am. I've got my credit karma. I've got my FICO. They're showing me what my balances are. Okay. 
I need to start paying these down and get below 30%. And I'm going to see a real increase in my score. This is what we talk about when we say credit utilization. Let's go back to the very beginning of this here. We talked about five things make up the credit score. Payment history. So as long as you're making the payments on time, check. That's 35% of your credit score model. Another 30% is the amount you owe. That's what I'm referencing right now. And this credit utilization, the amount you owe, that is the other number two thing that makes up your score. So 65% of your credit score is comprised of payment history and the amount of money you owe. I just showed you how to improve that by making that payment down in this scenario. And if that applies to you, you will see a dramatic jump because that accounts for 30% of what you owe. And then the length of history. In this particular case, it's only four months. So probably not going to get as much you know, impact to the score because it's a rather new trade line. And then also remember 10% new credit and then the other 10% is the type of credit in which you're establishing. So I kind of wanted to go through that with you so you can see this and uh, my producer, Charlie, will put that in there. But here's what I want to show you. In this particular scenario, I'm going to show you another screen here where we're showing a borrower that has a Capital One credit card. They have a high balance of 5000 excuse me, a high credit limit of $5,000. They're utilizing hundred basically they're they're not they're utilizing this card and they're maxing it out. What we're doing is we're showing them that if they can pay that card down and get that utilization down, what this does to their score. And there's a program that lenders can use that a lot of people use called Credit Expert. It's a wonderful, wonderful simulator that says if I do this, this will happen. So if this, then that type deal thing. In this particular case, it shows that if they were to pay this down, how their credit score would jump 30 points. 30 points. And you could do it in less than a month. So in some of these examples that I'm putting on here, I'm just wanting to show you what type of impact credit utilization will make as far as how you use your credit cards to your advantage. Because sometimes credit cards, I know they get a negative connotation in the industry because they're not taught how to be usual. And I go back to this, you know, last podcast we did a week ago, we talked about why is this not taught in school? Like this could, this could easily be a high school curriculum class on how to use credit card. It's simple math, the formulas work, and then you could improve your credit. Because remember, there's a tremendous difference in credit scores every 20 points. And you know, when you talk about getting the best interest rate on your mortgage, and you talk about getting the best interest rates on your credit card or the best introductory rates, all of that is surrounded by credit score. They don't look at anything else other than that. They aren't looking at really anything. Because when you're offered this, they don't really know your income. They don't know your employment status. All they know is your credit score. And that's like the first key to opening the gates of getting the best deals. So I can't stress that enough. So that's how that's how you can improve it. And that's how you can jump ahead of the line by getting an authorized user, utilizing your balances correctly, and having a great payment history. I mean, that right there is 80% of your credit score, those three things. So think about this. Let's use, let's use my kid, for example, my, my, my daughter and my son. I put them on an American Express authorized user platform on my card. And I did that when they turned 13. I have a 17-year-old and a 16-year-old. So my 17-year-old already has four years of credit depth, payment history, paid on time, as agreed, and has four years and doesn't owe, but, and I don't, I don't let them put hardly anything on there. So they've got 80% of their credit score is being comprised right now between the ages of 13 and 18. You know, you can do that again at the ages of 14, 15, 16, whatever it is. So if you have children under the age of 18, what a great gift and way to help them establish credit. If you're older than 18, you can still take advantage of this. You can still jump in the line and get all the benefits of that. It's just going to start at the age of 18 moving forward here, but it's going to be a great way to kick off and build depth on that as well. 
And again, if you're trying to rebound your credit, that's another great way to rebound it in comparison to just doing nothing, right? Getting added as an authorized user is going to help build that score as well. Yo, thank you so much for choosing us today. We're definitely not done with our podcast, but we are going to take a really short sponsor break and then we'll get right back to the show. I've been in the lending business for 20 years. I've seen many different lenders. During those 20 years, I recognized there's a difference between being an originator and an advisor. The team at Bank of England is full of advisors. They take their time to understand your needs. They take the time to structure a mortgage for you and your family. And I cannot recommend them enough. If you're in the market to purchase a home, maybe it's a second home, maybe it's an investment property, or you're looking to refinance your current property that you live in, take a minute to work with the advisors at Bank of England Mortgage. They're a nationwide lender and you can find your local branch at boemortgage.com because it's more than loans, it's people. Thanks so much for letting us give a shout out to our sponsor. All right, now back to the podcast. The next thing I want to talk about is the collections because that's important and collections come in all different, you know, walks of life. You've got you've got medical collections which are probably the most popular. You've got collections for debt that hasn't been paid that you agree to. And then you've got bad collections, which I would say really bad, like a repossession or a short sale, you know, or a foreclosure. Those are really bad collections. That's when stuff's gotten off the grid, not good. And, and you know, you're, you're, you're possibly looking at something like a bankruptcy or whatever. But let's go to those first two. Let's talk about medical collection or let's talk about debt that hadn't been paid that's in a form of a collection. And these can happen for different reasons. Personally, I think the medical collection is the biggest scam of all times because, you know, you go to the doctor they take your insurance, they tell you there's no copay, and then 30, 60, 90, hell, maybe even a year later, you get a bill. You're lucky if you even get it. It might not even show up at your doorstep. But let's say you get it, and it's for like $108, right? And it's like, oh, for testing that was ran, blah, 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 your insurance company disagreed to it, so here's this bill. You're questioning, like, I don't even remember last week, much less a year ago, what the heck is this for? You call the company, they don't know, whatever. So you have a choice. You either pay it or you don't pay it. So let's say 50% of the people say, screw it, I'm going to pay it because I don't want to show up as a collection because they know how that works. And the other 50% say, I'm not paying this. I don't owe this, right? So if for some reason you have a medical collection, just show up on your credit report out of the blue. Again, I would venture to say probably 50% of the credit reports in America have a medical collection on it. There's a couple of things you can do to improve that. So think about this. There's no difference besides financially. On a credit report scoring model, there's no difference between a $10 collection and a $10,000 collection. And I know people will argue with me on that, but that is not the case. A collection is a collection is a collection, and that's how it works. Now, the good news is this. If you pay the collection off, you need to get a payment letter from the collection company that says, hey, listen, this has been paid in full. And then also that collection company has agreed to remove that from the credit report. It is now settled. It is removed. Now, sometimes they don't agree. There is recent, um, I don't want to say legislation, but there is recent rules that have come out as of August 22 that state that if you pay off a collection, it can no longer be held over your head. It should be removed from the credit report. Sometimes that's not always the case, but 99% of the time it is. If it's done correctly, it is. If that collection is removed, you're going to see a significant increase in your credit score. Sometimes it's 30, 40 points. Again, I'm going to pull up another example here our producer is going to put in the show notes. And you can see all these show notes at, on our YouTube channel at What's Your One More with the number one at What's Your One More with the number one. Uh, again, love the comments and feedbacks you guys are putting on there. But I'm going to put a negative trade line. So we just showed what a trade line was. This is going to be a negative one. 
This is actually going to be, again, from John Doe, and this is a fake credit report. But this is a uh, this is what a collection looks like when we get it on a credit report, right? So this collection is showing up. Now, what's interesting to me is it's only reporting to one of the three repositories. So in this particular case, whatever we do is only going to make the Experian credit score go up because in the very top, you'll see this is a highlighted in gray uh highlighted in dark charcoal gray trade line. Now, some some lenders highlight them in yellow. I mean, it's whatever, but it's differentiating from that, that normal line that you saw before. And this is alerting people that, hey, listen, there's a collection on here. And in this particular case, it's a uh, it's on Experian. Uh, it reported back in May of 2014 in this particular case, and the balance is 456 bucks. So $456, and it is literally a medical collection. And it's with an attorney's office right now, and you could settle for this, and you may not even have to pay the full 456 Maybe you pay 200 Maybe you pay the full 456 in this case, whatever it is. Um, but what's interesting about this is that um, we see these all the time. And in this particular case, I stand correct. This is not a medical collection. In this particular case, this is Pacific Bell. This is actually like a phone bill collection. Uh, we do see these two from time to time. Um, but these are normally these are normally medical collections. But we we do another credit expert, and you can see how this increases forty plus points just by paying off a medical collection and you get it deleted from the credit report. And so again, if you're working with a lender, they can help you with this. If you're looking at your credit karma or you're looking at, you know, your my FICO and you've been alerted, you have a new collection, pay that thing off as fast as possible. Just pay it off and get it deleted as fast as possible through the collection agency, whether it's a medical collection agency or not. All right. Last thing I want to touch on here, because I think that this is, um, I think this is just as important. So let's say you have an amazing credit score and you want to make sure you maintain that credit score. So what we've done for the first half of this podcast is we've talked about how to improve your score. But let's say you're like, Q, I'm good, man. I've got like the 720. I'm cruising. Yeah, I want to get to a 740, but I know that comes in time or I got a 740, 780. I hear it all the time. And you want to maintain that. First thing you want to do, that credit utilization, like you know how you got to that credit score, continue to make your payments on time. Don't go over the 30% balance. You're going to see that play a significant role in that score. Another thing, if you've got other credit cards that you're not using, all right, this is pro tip number two, do not close them out. Like do not close out your credit cards that you're not using. Like I've got a credit card that I've had since I was 18 years old. I don't use it. It sits in a safe at home. It drives the living hell out of me because I'm like, oh God, what if something happens on that card? What if I'm, I'm checking it, making sure there's like no fraud on it. But I know if I close that card out, I lose 20 plus years of credit depth because I closed that out. Even though I'm not using it, I'm going to lose 20 years of credit depth. That's going to damage my credit score. So, and that's exactly what happens. And isn't that crazy? We get like this false notion, like, Hey, listen, pay off all your debt, close out your credit cards. That makes sense to me too. Cause shit, man, I want to be financially free. I don't want to have that stuff lingering over my head. So pay it off, close it out. Well, no one tells you closing that out could cost you a hundred points. Like don't close that credit card out. Put that joker in a safe, check it online once a month, make sure there's no fees being charged, make sure there's no activity on it, right? Especially if you're not using it. But that brings up another point. That card may have an annual fee attached to it. Okay, if it has an annual fee attached to it, here's something you're gonna wanna make a decision on. Do I close it out and I'm gonna suffer the points, excuse me, I'm gonna suffer the points on my credit report, I could lose it. Or do I put a reminder in my, you know, Outlook or my calendar on my phone. And I say, hey, listen, annual fee, do it this time. Because what happens is with a lot of people is they forget to pay the annual fee in 60, 90 days down the road. That thing is now late and you got a 60 or a 90 day late on your credit report because you forgot to pay the annual fee because that thing's been sitting in your safe. That's a reality. That happens all the time. So you just got to make a choice. Either use the card, 
don't use it and remain active on it. And then you know exactly what's happening or don't use it because it's not beneficial to you anymore. Close it out, lose some points or put it in a safe and put some reminders on the annual fee date. So you know exactly when that's due. So you don't get stung on that. So keep that in mind. Another thing to do is if you are, you know, you're, you're using the credit cards, you're not using the credit cards, we just talked about that, but you have the score you want. I would highly recommend a really sophisticated credit monitoring system. You know, a lot of people will use LifeLock. They're probably number one. ID Shield is number two. If you're using a Chase card, if you're using Amex, Discover, any of those major ones, they're going to have a credit journey or a credit identity or a credit tracker built in. And if you're not using that, that's free of charge. You automatically get that as part of your credit card. So you should be able to find that tab. You know, I'm, I'm looking at one right now from Chase called Credit Journey. You just click on that and it will walk you through. And it's done pretty well. But again, it's on the premise of that Credit Karma system. I was talking about that Vantage 4.0. So it's not really getting the same look as what lenders look at. So it's going to be a different scoring system, but you get an idea of what's showing up in your credit report. The idea behind having something on your credit, excuse me, monitoring your credit is exactly that. It's not necessarily to get the score. It's to monitor your credit. You want to know if a medical collection shows up. You want to know if something's being charged on your credit card that you're unaware of, whether it's this card that's monitoring it or it's other cards that you have. You want to know if your credit's been pulled. They'll tell you that too. That's important. A question we get all the time. Hey, listen, my credit score was pulled on June 1st, and then it was pulled again on June 15th, and my score fell 30 points. It's probably not why your score fell 30 points. I mean, if you noticed in you know the things that make up your credit score, 35% payment history, 30% the amount owed, 15% the length of history, 10% new credit, 10% how you use that new credit. I didn't see any percentage in there on how many times your credit was pulled. That's because that's not the case. The irony is in that scenario is that your credit's pulled on the 1st and then it's pulled again on the 15th. It goes back to those rolling billing cycles we talked about. There's probably a creditor that popped in there in that 15-day window and reported a new balance. And that new balance is probably what drug that score down. I could almost guarantee if you took both bureaus and put them side by side, one of those trade lines has a higher balance over 30%, which is what dropped your credit score or medical collection popped up or you missed a payment. Any of those things could happen. It's not because someone pulled your credit. And I know people argue with me all day long on that, but that's not what's causing that credit score to fall. And that is not part of the credit scoring model on here either. All right, last but not least, maintaining that great credit score is be a conscious credit user. Again, I think that's one of the biggest things that gets missed here is that people aren't always monitoring and looking at their own credit. I mean, treat that thing like you do your monthly paycheck or your weekly or your biweekly paycheck. You know, treat that thing like you do your mortgage statement. Like look at your credit on those sites that I'm referring to and take an opportunity to make sure everything on there is accurate and correct. And then also start building up for your kids, you know, at the early age of 13, you can start adding them on there. And then if you're beyond 18, work with your parents to get put on. Um, and, you know, if they haven't done it yet, work with your current parents to get put on as an authorized user. Extremely important, great way to build depth, great way to build a payment history on there. So if you guys like what you're hearing, please five-star review this podcast. We're on any platform in which you check out your podcast. If you would, leave some comments specifically on Apple. We'd really like you to go to Apple, five-star review this, and leave some comments on Apple for us. And then check us out at our YouTube channel. All the screenshots, all the notes, everything we talked about will be on there, including a link for you to get the five best tips on how to improve your credit before applying for a mortgage. That's real important. That's brought to you by our friends at Bank of England. It's a fantastic quick three-page guide. I wouldn't put it on there if it wasn't good. Check it out. It's worth your time. And then if you guys would tune in to one of our next episodes, I'm going to try to get the president of Partners Credit on here, Tracy King. She's phenomenal. And hopefully she can shed some more light on the behind the scenes credit action for us. Till the next time, we'll catch you on the next episode of What's Your One More. I got one more shot. I'm going to make it. 
One more chance, I'm gonna take it I meant it when I said it, now it's time for me to do it I got one life to live, so I put them all into it, yeah